Sleep study finds perfect amount of sleep adults need to be healthy. That's kind of funny because every time I see a study about sleep, it's always different. It's always something different. And looking at this is it's pretty much now that the studies are starting to get summer to other related cross-reference of sleep studies. And I find it kind of surprising. So pretty much being said in that aspect, everybody wants that good amount of rest to be well rested and being ready to get up the next day and go from there. That's that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate goal. And so we're standing at a time where people research these things and they get to worrying about their sleep. I know I do. I do for a fact. I, I, I big time worry about not getting the eight hour sleep, not our sleep that you know I need. Sleep is important to me, and I'm pretty sure it's important to everybody else, but some people it's not. So that uh, is a difference maker in everything talking about sleep. So apparently, this article came out, I want to say Tuesday, and they said that a new study has determined the sweet spot of sleep you should be getting every night in order to decrease your risk of Alzheimer's and other adverse health outcomes. So... The studies, um, the study says that getting less than six hours of sleep negatively affects your health in potentially severe ways, and along uh, along with increasing your chances of getting Alzheimer's, not uh, not sleeping the much, sorry, not sleeping much enough, can also increase symptoms of depression and often results in gaining weight but it also has found that there's a such thing as too much sleep so this is that's where it gets interesting that's where it gets interesting so dr jennifer ashton uh abc news chief medical correspondent and board certified OBGYN has said that people who got less than six hours of sleep on PET scan brain imaging had a higher rate of these brain plaques that we found in association with Alzheimer's disease. So that appears to be the sweet spot, as she said. So now at this point, you could be putting your health at just as much of risk if you sleep too much. But she was not involved in the study. 
nine or more hours associated with poor cognitive uh, performance of sleeping. So if we're sleeping nine hours, nine or more hours, that will affect our brain in the way that we think. So according to the study, the best amount of sleep you could get is seven to eight hours per night. But the general range of six to nine hours is still a massive boost in your long-term and mental and physical health. Hmm. It's interesting. So for the study, the, the experts looked at data for more than 4,000 adults with the mean age, with the mean age of 71.3 years in the United States, Canada, Australia, and, the, and Japan. Participants were underwent a positron emission tomography, which is a PET scan, to determine objective and subjective cognitive function measures. The study confirmed that short and long sleep durations were associated with multiple adverse health outcomes, highlighting the importance of healthy sleep and aging. The pandemic, interestingly, actually caused Americans to get too much sleep. So according to the America Time Youth Survey, which is, was created by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, people aged 15 and up reported sleeping an average of 9.1 hours per day. That includes nighttime sleep and naps from May to December of 2020. There's no such thing as perfect sleep. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. People could have severe mental health problems and still won't be able to get that range of sleep. There's some people that do. My problem when I try to sleep, I can't turn my brain off. I cannot turn my brain off because I'm at a point Excuse me, I'm at a point where I come home and I'm just there. I'm there. And my mind doesn't turn off, doesn't do anything. And I try to settle in, but I settle in for so long that I'm procrastinating at that point. I'm procrastinating. And when I start to procrastinate, that's when my mind starts to kind of wind down, my brain starts to shut down, and I start to get sleepy. And I still have a lot more to do before I actually turn in for the night. And that's one of the major problems that I have when it comes down to sleep. Because my goal is always to get eight or nine hours of sleep. You know, I want to be in bed, early enough time to get up at early enough time to start my day but it never works it never works so that's that's when I have to actually sit down and break down my day by making that list of the things that I need to do and time stamp that 
that's what I gotta do because I know at at a minimal point I'm not gonna follow just by what my head says my brain is gonna say something else my brain is gonna tease me to believing that I don't need that much sleep because it's not worth it oh yeah it is but that's my brain tells me train your mind to understand that your negativity is not going to upheld on what you actually believe in don't ever put yourself in that predicament to know that you need that sleep you're going to do what you're going to need to do in order to get yourself that sleep. Even if that means for me, if I stop procrastinating, even if that means that I have to be more active with what I do in order for me to get that X amount of, uh, amount of sleep. That's, that's the name of the game. That's always going to be the name of the game. I won't even work out, but my job is based on that type of work to where that I'm not even healthy enough to, I feel like not do the job, but I've proven myself wrong in so many of these situations. I've proven myself wrong and it's not even intentional for me to train my mind to be more positive or train my mind to be more understanding about what I'm doing. But I do have to train my mind to actually say, hey, this is the reality of what you gotta do. This is your reality. And one of those realities is that I need that rest amount of sleep for me to be rested to get up refreshed ready to go to work ready to do what i need to do to start my day because if i get less than eight hours i'm in trouble i'm in trouble good amount of rest always leads to something healthy but you also got to add in working out eating healthy and understanding that your mind is there to should I say bully intimidate no your your mind is there to kind of block your positive thinking into believing that the wrong way is the right way that's how my brain has always wanted to do with me and it's worked it has worked. So get you that good amount of sleep that you need. Now I know a lot of people listen to this podcast and they believe, hey, I, I could do good with five hours of sleep. I could do good with four. Or I could do good with six. Okay. That's good. But if you started to know, if you start to notice a change in your mind and how you think, then maybe you need to rethink on how many hours that you feel that you need sleep for. That's just something to think about. Just something to think about. But other than that, 
as I talked about that, I would like to welcome everybody to another edition of Breaking Mental Health with Daryl. I am your host, Daryl Watts. Today, it's going to be a touchy one. A lot of opinions out there about this. And I probably know that at the end of this podcast, I'll probably have a lot less listeners than I have beforehand. Today, I'm actually going to sit down and talk about Donald Trump in mental health. Now, I think I said in the last episode that I was actually going to talk about pastors and mental health, but I ended up changing it to Trump. And if I did say uh, pastors and mental health, I apologize about that. That's going to be in another future episode um, at this point, because I still have more work that I need to prepare for for that. Um, but today is Donald Trump. So when we come back, when I come back, I'm taking me a small break and we're going to head right into Donald Trump. Be right back. What's happening, everybody? What's good, friends? Hope everybody's day has went well. Hope everybody enjoyed their three-day weekend. Those that actually had three uh, three days off. Labor Day weekend. For me, I... You know, I got work. Work on holidays. Some holidays. Labor Day is one of them. So... You know, it's this is one of those things that you just have to accept and and deal with. Well, looks like I had three days off, but you know, you just deal with it. Just deal with it. All right, so welcome back to Breaking Mental Health with Daryl. I am your host, Daryl Watts. Uh, like I said just a moment ago. That we're going to be digging into uh, Donald Trump and his mental health. And like I said, I know probably by the end of the day, we'll end of this podcast, people are probably going to think of me very differently, especially those that actually sit down and support Donald Trump and the way that he has run America on his first term, his first four years of uh, presidency there's a lot of things that's been said about Trump and his mental health so let's go ahead and uh, take a look at some of them so in America we have witnessed Donald Trump as president of the United States of America there were mixed feelings about how he how he did it in his uh, only one term which was four years as president. The question is, did Donald Trump suffer from any mental health? Now, even though there is no official answer to this question, there are a lot of opinions in which people believe there isn't, and there is. But by his actions as president, it seems that he does. 
and how did this actually affect his mental health moving forward as president of the United States. Now, I know a lot of us remember the uh, violent insurrection at the uh, U.S. Capitol building back earlier this year of uh, January 6th. I know there's a lot of people that remember that. But uh, at this point, we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, this is interesting because as what I said earlier, the half and half have different thoughts about Trump being fit as president and how it actually, him not being fit could actually have a lot to do with his mental health. Over 70,000 health professionals, over 70,000 health professionals signed a petition that said Donald Trump manifests a serious mental illness that renders him psychologically incapable of competently discharging the duties of president of the United States. Let me read that again. Over 70,000 health professionals signed a petition that said Donald Trump manifests a serious mental illness that renders him psychologically incapable of competently discharging the duties of president of the United States. And over two dozen mental health experts wrote a book arguing that Trump is not fit to be president. Yeah, no surprise. And in December of 2019, several hundred mental health professionals sent a statement to the House Judiciary Committee members to express their concerns that due to his this is bizarre sense of self-worth wow I can even read my own notes Trump may act more dangerously which renders to the violent insurrection of January 6 health experts in their opinion, diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder and it's believed or suggested he suffered from neurological conditions like dementia and Alzheimer's disease. But of course, it can't be proven. That cannot be proven. Now, I know a lot of people will actually sit down and will say, hey, if y'all doing Trump, well, what about everybody else? Who's going to question the mental health of many celebrity figures, such as uh, Princess Diana, Britney Spears, Winston Churchill, Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams? It's just a few of the names. They have. I'm pretty sure they have. You know, but I haven't even looked into that. But 
we all have to actually sit down and understand that if you see that the way a person that is dealing with a mental illness runs certain things, it just don't seem right. Trump is a businessman. He was he is not fit to run as president because of his mental health. Now, I'm not saying this because he is actually not fit to be ran for president. I am saying this because it's been proven. But you can also say, and I can already hear, well, what about everybody else? We got a lot of people that deals with mental health, but they're still successful at what they do. Okay, well, how about those ones that's actually sitting there being threatening? That actually puts themselves on the pedestal. Did Robert Williams do that? No. He didn't even realize. I bet you he didn't even realize he had a mental illness. I bet you he didn't. He knew that he suffered from anxiety, depression. He knew that. But I believe he did not know that he suffered deeper in his middle in his middle illness than just depression, serious depression and anxiety. I can believe that. You also look at Saddam Hussein. You look at Saddam Hussein, health experts believe that he had a malignant narcissist issue. But it's unbiased evidence, believe it or not. I don't even know Saddam Hussein like that to actually put him into this situation. But when you're thinking about when you're thinking about Trump, now Hussein, believe it or not, he was the mastermind of the things that he did. He was a big mastermind at it. He was good at it, but it was in a bad way. But Trump, you know for a fact that he has a narcissistic attitude he has it but where does that go it goes all back to him it goes back to him but let's go ahead and and uh, kind of break this down from the riot of January 6th let's back uh, let's take a quick step back on uh on this riot. I'm gonna go back to 2016. November 9th of 2016, Donald Trump had won the 2016 election. And then January 20th of 2017, he was sworn in by Chief Justice John Roberts. 
So his focus was to focus on America first by making his slogan, make America great again. Because due to the other issues and problems that America was dealing with, everybody looked at him as a straightforward, speak his mind type of guy to where he was really just speaking on what he felt and not what was right to make decisions for America. So according to Trump's own staffers, subordinates, and allies, they characterize him as infantile. So to make sense of this term, he was childish. He was just straight childish. So this is tough because with everything that Trump does and what he goes through, it's hard for me to sit down here and, and look at this stuff and actually see his leadership go to drain by the way that he was performing as a as president. It was, it's bizarre. And people actually sit down and love this stuff. They love this stuff. But the real fact is, is that this was the scariest from 2016 to 2020 moments of our lives. It was the scariest, the most dangerous, in the most disrespectful way to start off 2020, which was the ending of Trump's term. Let's take a look at his leadership style. So while in office, he reportedly executed reading detailed brief documents which including the president's daily brief in favor of receiving all briefings. Intelligence briefers reportedly repeated the president's name and title in order to keep his attention. He was also known to acquire information by watching up to eight hours of television each day. Most notably Fox News programs such as Fox and Friends and Hannity, whose broadcast talking points, Trump sometimes repeated in public statements, particularly in early morning tweets. Trump had reportedly expressed anger if intelligence analysis contradicted his beliefs of public statements, with two briefers stating that they have been instructed by superiors not to provide Trump with information that contradicted his public statements. Yeah. So anybody right now that can understand what kind of person Trump is, I'll put it to you this way. If Trump sat down and actually did watch eight hours worth of TV each day 
he watches those that bashes him in so many different ways, which is fine. You can have that. You could definitely have that. But the problem is, when it came down to COVID, COVID-19, he has shared a lot of information that was really bizarre and expected the people to believe his statements. Even his own supporters, some, not all, actually didn't believe him either. So COVID is still here. And with him, before Biden came in, was a pure example of how he wanted to deal with COVID-19. He wanted no part of COVID. He wanted no part of it. So everybody believes that he actually did what he could. Yeah, you can say he did what he could, but he didn't. He, he didn't because if you look at Obama versus Trump, we had the Ebola where Obama was in the office and we have Trump with COVID. Let me tell you the biggest difference between that. Well, actually, let me share a common ground with Ebola and COVID. Did Obama freak? Freak out? Oh, of course he did. Did Trump freak out when it came down to COVID? Of course he did. Of course he did. They both did. When it came down to their respective diseases, they both freaked out. Now, did Obama actually take action when Ebola started to rise? Yes, he did. Did Trump take action when it came to COVID at the beginning? No, he did not. Did Obama help responsible when Ebola came and people got affected and died from it. Yes, they did. Did that number increase to millions of people dying from Ebola? No, it did not. Did Trump handle COVID-19 to where millions of people have died from COVID? No, he did not. By the time Trump left office, millions of people had COVID. Millions of people have died from COVID. Now, do I feel that he deserves some credit from uh, helping with COVID? Not really. He did do something, but he don't deserve all the credit. This is where your mental health actually sits down and play a big role and how you take care of situations. You find the ground, the common root of the problem. You've been briefed about it. You've been briefed 
about the upcoming disease when Obama was there and Biden and all of his staff. You, you was brief, but your ego decides, hell, we don't need this bullshit because it's not true. Narcissistic behavior. Narcissistic behavior. They are planning out these problems for COVID and the game plan that you need to execute to prevent further issues. What do you do? You say this shit is trash. Fuck this bullshit. We don't need this shit. You got a problem. You got a real problem, but you don't want to do nothing about it because you felt it wasn't true. It's your ego. And now all of a sudden, when people decide that they ain't going to believe your ass when it comes down to it, you get angry when people contradict what you say. How fair is that? And now... With COVID, people say, and what Trump said, that it's bullshit. It's not true. It's not this. It's not that. He said all the negative things, and now his supporters believe it. It's just the flu. It's just this. It's just that. Don't nobody want to follow the science. This is why now under Biden, these cases are growing, and these cases are getting worse. Even though we still have millions of people well let me not say millions of people we still have people that has thousands of people that has actually got vaccinated other people don't want to get vaccinated because they feel that this shit is not serious enough if we're not understanding what is going on i've said it in a few episodes ago on how this COVID 19 is affecting our children don't get the proper experience in life because of this damn COVID. I can understand people that don't have, that has a condition that will affect when you get vaccinated. That's fine. But know and understand that being respectful, putting on a mask, and staying six feet distance from other people or just staying at home will help increase these chances of bringing the numbers down. We was doing good, but then everything started climbing right back up. And now Biden is gonna get this blame because he's trying to do something about it. Trump didn't wanna do nothing about it. He's feel he cannot be touched. Why? Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that you're in the office that you can throw your weight around, mislead people, give people different information, falsify information. You feel that this is okay, but people still want to support them. That shit hurts. But know your boundaries. Howard Stern and Donald Trump are good friends. 
but Howard Stern knew. Ain't no way in hell he's going to be fit for president. He knew that. He didn't want Trump. Don't step your butt into that office because you're not fit for it. Common sense. Common sense is everything, but now it's a punishment. Because we have to be held responsible for other idiots that now have common sense. Period. So, Trump had reportedly fostered chaos as a management technique, resulting in low morale and policy confusion among his staff. Trump proved unable to effectively compromise during the 115th U.S. Congress, which led to significant governmental gridlock and few notable legislative accomplishments, despite Republican control of both houses of Congress. Presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin found Trump lacked several traits of an effective leader, including humility, acknowledging errors, shouldering blame and learning from mistakes, empathy, resilience, collaboration, and connecting with people and controlling unproductive emotions. And this is the guy that everybody wanted in the office. Wow. So in January 2018, Exoids, I don't know the actual name, but I apologize if I butchered it. They reported Trump's working hours was typically around 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. A later start and an earlier end compared to the beginning of his presidency and that he was holding fewer meetings during his working hours in order to accommodate Trump's desire for more unstructured free time, which is labeled as executive time. And in 2019, they published Trump's schedule from November 7th of 2018 to February 1st of 2019 and calculated that around 60% of time between 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. was executive time. Let's dig into that deeper. Let's take a look at this. The scoop, Trump's secret, shrinking schedule. Trump is starting his official day much later than he did in his early days of his presidency, often around 11 a.m., holding far fewer meetings according to copies of his private schedule shown to Exoys. This is largely to meet Trump's demand for more executive time, which always means TV and Twitter time alone, and residents official tells us. So the schedule shown are different than the sanitized ones released to the media and the public. The schedule says Trump has executive time in the Oval Office every day from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. But the reality is he spends that time in his residence, watching TV, making phone calls, and tweeting. Trump's come down for his first meeting of the day, which is often an intelligence briefing at 11 a.m. That's far later than George W. Bush, who typically arrived in the Oval by 6.45 in the morning. Obama worked out first, worked out first thing in the morning and usually got into the Oval between 9 and 10 a.m., according to a former senior aide. Now, why are they pointing out Trump as a 
big shifter to Bush and Obama is consistent. That's why. Consistency is the key. Trump's first day in the Oval Office are relatively short from around 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Then he's back to, to the residence. During that time, he's usually in a meeting or two, but spends a good deal of time making phone calls and watching cable news in the dining room adjoining the Oval. Then he's back to the residence for more phone calls and more TV. So here's some random examples from, um, from that week of, uh, week's real schedule. On Tuesday, Trump had his first meeting of the day with Chief of Staff John Kelly at 11 a.m. He then has executive time for an hour, followed by an hour lunch in the private dining room. Then it's another an hour and 15 minutes of executive time, followed by a 45 minute meeting with National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster. Then another 15 minutes of executive time before Trump takes his last meeting of the day. At 340, a 3.45 p.m. meeting with the head of presidential personnel, Johnny DeStefano, before ending his day at 4.15 p.m. If this, means, if this doesn't mean a lot for a lot of people on how he has a real mental illness based off of what this man is doing, then I don't know what else to say. Other days are fairly similar unless the president is traveling in which case the days run longer. On Wednesday of that week, for example, the president meets at 11 a.m. for his intelligence briefing, then has executive time until a 2 p.m. meeting with Norwegian Prime Minister. His last official duty, a video recording with Hope Hicks at 4 p.m. Then on Thursday of that week, the president has an especially light schedule. Policy time at 11 a.m., then an executive time at 12 p.m., then lunch for an hour, then more executive time from 1.30 p.m. Trump's schedule wasn't always like this. So in the earlier days of the Trump administration, it began earlier and ended later. That ego started to get bigger after a year into the office. Trump would have breakfast meetings of course, with host, hosting business leaders in the Roosevelt Room, he didn't like the longer official schedule and push for later starts. The morning intelligence briefing ended up selling around 10.30 in the morning. Aides say that Trump is always doing something. He's a world of activity, and some aides wish he would sleep more. But his time in the residence is unstructured and undisciplined. He's calling people, watching TV, tweeting, and generally taking the same loose improvisational approach to being president that he took to running the Trump organization for many years. Old habits die hard. So White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders wrote this in response to this article that they wrote about his time. The time in the morning is a mix of residence time and over office time, but he always has calls with staff, Hill members, cabinet members, and foreign leaders during this time. The president is one of the hardest working 
hardest workers I've ever seen. It puts in long hours and long days, nearly every day of the week, all year long. It has been noted by reporters many times that they wish he would slow down because they sometimes have trouble keeping up with him. Hmm. Wow. I'm gonna throw a reference out there. I'm just gonna throw a quick reference. For the mental health side of this podcast with Donald Trump, I recommend everybody to listen to the afternoon coffee break with Darren Watts. He gets more deeper into Trump when it comes down to racism and justice and everything else. He has that side of the story. He did a two-part episode, or maybe four, I don't remember, on Trump. And I recommend that you listen to it. And I recommend that you listen to this podcast also, which everybody else is. To get to the mental health side of this. It's more of. The bigger understanding of. How. We as Americans need to understand. What the president. Would do. In certain situations. Now everybody's going to have their opinions and stuff. About how this needs to be ran. How that needs to be ran. If anything of that in particular nature, okay, yes, that has to be respected, regardless. If people want to support Trump, that has to be respected. But believe it or not, there's a problem, a big problem, and that's why he only served one year. I'm sorry, that's why he only served four years, one term. That's why. We're half beyond to what everything is uh, is there. And I felt we was actually headed for disaster because of his ego, his mental illness, and for him to actually feel that he was fit for president. And we have health officials, health professionals that, excuse me, felt completely different about this. But everybody just blew right past it. They ignored it. Okay. Fine. Let's talk about the violent insurrection from January 6th. Trump already had blamed Democrats and the people for the voting. And when they voted Biden into the office, he was mad as hell to the fact that he lost and did not get the second term. And he felt that something was not right about how the voting went. If anything that needed to be fixed or cheated upon on, This will be a problem every single time. 
It just would be. It would just be a prop. So he's claiming that people are using dead people to vote and that people miscounted and there's still a whole package of votes that belongs to him that just there and is missing. Some of that was true. Maybe. Maybe, end quote. But the fact is, is that he lost. He lost. That's when he made that speech that he was going to walk with him, storm into the Capitol, and cause hell. Little problem. Narcissistic. Ego problem. You're in the position to be the President of the United States to do this. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. You mean to tell me that this insurrection of the U.S. Capitol, going in there, destroying everything, threatening people, committing a crime, is protecting, preserving, and defending the Constitution of the United States? What the hell? And then you want and then a lot of people want to go and blame the Democrats for this? A mental issue here. We're not rewiring. We are we are not rewiring what's going on. A big hit. In their right mind. As any president of the United States would actually threat to go and bring their fans to the Capitol, storm it, threaten it, destroy it, and everything in the world. You see Bush do that shit? No. You see Obama do that shit? No. Did you see the other Bush, George H.W. Bush, do that shit? No. You get mad over the voting. The Republicans, the Republicans agree with you. But with the minute they come storming into the Capitol. And they go against you. You get mad. You get mad. But then. They start to feel sorry for your pathetic ass. And decides that they're not even going to take him out as the president of the United States. He should not even be even considered to go for a second term. But he got the right to do that now. 
because he's a big crybaby that won his way. That's another problem. And that's all I'm saying. If Trump actually sat down and fixed his problems, fixed his ego, stop with all these false claims. Could he have been a better president? Maybe. Doubt it. But we wouldn't have all of these problems that are sitting here right now as we speak. With everybody trying to clean up this mess from COVID and we're not even nowhere 90% done. We're not even 90% done. And now we can't even discuss COVID because a lot of people is offended by it. They keep it the right to uh, prophecy that we can't even be vocal about it because they believe in something different. But everybody want to get mad or Trump want to get mad because the voting was fucked up. And it never was. It never was fucked up. Obama has said, hey, let's give uh, Donald Trump a chance. Oh, guess what? We had no choice. We gave that man a chance. Everybody gave that man a chance. But he didn't prove anything. He didn't prove anything. And a lot of people didn't like the way Biden ended the war of 20 years in Afghanistan. But that just shows a lot of boldness to actually end the war of 20 years versus Trump versus Obama. Obama did part of the job, but Biden finished it. Trump wanted to execute something differently. He wanted to execute something differently. Was he ever going to do it? I don't know. But we have to understand that there's a middle issue. They're going to say it, it will never end. However people want to look at it. But that's all I got for Breaking Mental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Watts. So join me next week. Next week, I'm going to do something different. I am actually getting then into the sports aspect of the mental health. I'm going to talk about Ryan Grixon, the former general manager in the Indianapolis Colts, and his toxic behavior during his tenure with the Colts. That led to a disaster. So support my podcast. I want to build an empire off of this. I want to be able to bring more awareness to mental health. I want to bring more awareness. So please, please support my podcast. But until then, stay true to yourself. And when it comes to listening, you are one step closer to raising awareness. Let's go.